Hello everyone, and welcome back to the Mystery Theory Podcast. Today, we're doing part two of the Louise case disappearance. This was a recent investigation that had to go a little bit deeper to try to find whoever took or whatever happened to Louise Kay when she got out one night to have fun with her friends. After they were done, she decided to go spend the night in nature, in her car, in a place that she spent many, many nights before with her friends, and she disappeared. Not only she disappeared, but also her car. So today we're going to go through part two of this recent investigation. We're going to talk about a new suspect or somebody that fitted the criteria that we are looking for or the MO of different serial, oh, a specific serial killer, but from different serial killers in the area, which sounds horrible, but that's what happened and how that could be related to what happened to Luis. So last time, remember that the team of investigators were going through the entire database of unsolved murders in the UK with a few filters. They needed to be female and they needed to be between 14 and 35 years old. Uh, years old. And some other details that they learned could potentially be connected to the serial killer that they believed at the time could have had something to do with her disappearance. And his name is Peter Tobin. Now, after filtering all the cases in the UK, they started their investigation with unsolved murders in Glasgow, Scotland. This is the hometown of Peter Tobin. So this is not only his hometown, but still where his family lived, and one of the places he best knew, the areas at least. Now, three young women were abducted and murdered in a four-month period on 1977. And not only that, they disappear after going out at night to a pub, I don't know how to call it, a disco you know, those places that you go out at night uh, for dancing and maybe drinking or just for having fun. And in here they refer to them as pubs. So this was very similar because the girls disappeared or these women disappeared in kind of the same circumstances that Louise did, but they did ended up finding their bodies. Now, on August 5th, 20-year-old Anna, which was described as a fun and bubbly girl, went to a pub that she frequented all the time. Um, She had fun that night, and when she left the pub, she never made it home. And later on, we found out that her body was found in a Scottish farm. On October 1st, Hilda who is a divorced mom with two kids, she decided to go out for the night. And this was a very rare event. But the next morning, her body was found strangled and sexually assaulted. And then the final case is on December 2nd. And this is Agnes Cooney. And she's a 23-year-old children's nurse who was described as lovely and funny 
and then on that night she decided to go support a band this band was a apparently they were somewhat friends with or you know a, a friend started this band and she wanted to go support them so she went that night but vanished and 24 hours later they found her body outside Glasgow city center as you can see the last two were very I mean they were in areas that they were found very easily and the first one it did take them some time to find it but we'll go into the details these are the three different unsolved murders that they needed to go in and see if they could kind of connect it to peter tobin who hasn't um confessed or mentioned anything of these three girls and at this point the investigators believed that he probably had something to do with it now in 1977 uh, it was a year that it left more questions than answer for at least the community and was the worst year the was the worst year of unsolved mysteries for the area we now also know that peter was working at that time in 1977 for a car auction place that uh, in apparently and i think we talked about this last time his job was to deliver cars across the uk and the company in particular was based in glasgow the area where the three girls disappeared and were killed and also his hometown this job would give him the freedom to travel, have a car that is not really his. But he would he was very well known, I should say, that for offering rides to ladies and visit different areas that he didn't live in, making him, as the police call him, untraceable. Now the interesting um job would be to connect actually the three killings of these girls that happened in Glasgow and that the investigators believe that could be linked to what happened to Louise Kay and um, to Peter Tobin, who they believe did all this and probably had something to do with Louise Kay. How the ladies were killed and, you know, if they can't really be connected, that would be something that they need to go through evidence and investigate more to see if they can even connect this to peter tobin now let's just go back for a minute remember vicky hamilton she was from uh she was killed i should say in livingstone east of glasgow in 1991 so again we know that peter tried to kill his wife in the 60s and now we know that he killed Vicky Hamilton in the 90s. But what he did during the 70s, it's really something that we cannot tell. But according to Margaret, which is um, Peter's ex-wife, she said that she believed that he, he would never stop. So he was probably doing something in the 70s that the police have no idea about. Okay, so let's go a little bit deeper into th these three cases that again happened in 1977 and are, are still unsolved to see if we can connect it to our main 
investigation. So on August 5th, remember, Anne and Kenny went out with their friends. They would, they would go to this pub to have fun. And according to her friends, Anna was really pretty. She was also well-mannered. She was fun and always looked flawless. So just you have an idea. She was somebody also very friendly. Now, she, they said that she would also stand out in a crowd. So she was not only very friendly, but also she was very beautiful. The last time that she was seen, she was leaving the pub and waiting for a taxi. However, in a recent um, interview, her friends, a couple of her friends, I think there were four of them, but a couple of her friends said that they would often get rides from strangers, that they know how dangerous that was now, but back then it was very common to get a lift from a stranger and they would do it all the time. So according to them, Anna could have gotten a lift by a stranger to try to get to her house. That was the last time while she was waiting for the taxi or waiting for a ride. That was the last time that anybody saw Anna at least alive. So 20 months later, again, she was one of the ladies that it took them the longest to find her body but 20 months later her body was discovered partially covered 140 miles away in a slope that would lead to a small stream with her legs tied and they were not only tied but they were tied with tights you know which is interesting it was only bones at the time that they found her but they did notice that she was gagged and probably with a piece of her own clothing. The burying of the body did fit Peter's MO, but when they went a little bit deeper, they realized that there was an investigation in 2003 that reviewed what happened in this case. And they believe that, or they concluded, that nobody buried her body because it was partially buried but that probably the stream that she was by was moving the mud on top of the body. And that was, you know, after months of being her body there, it was covering part of her body. So again, not something that would fit what Peter would do, but still interesting to know. Now, the second case again was Hilda McCauley, that she was, remember, the divorced mom that I mentioned in the beginning, that she would rarely go out. But on October 2nd, 1977, she decided to go to the Plaza Ballroom, which sounds very fancy and something, I don't know, very different. Um, she was last seen leaving the place at around 12.30 a.m. And her body was discovered 12 hours later after a father and a son were, they were just walking by and they saw the body and reported it to the police. The father said, and this is from the police report, that the body was not hidden. Was They, they didn't try to conceal it. Her body looked super white and uh, that her hands were tied behind her back and her legs were also tied and gagged with something that looked like a scarf. Very, very similar to the one before. And again, tied with tights. So... Now, on December 3rd, Agnes Cooney was uh, murdered and dumped in a field, but left in the open again for people to find 
So she was bound with a sock in her mouth, gagging her. So again, neither of these three murders going through them, you can see, you know, oh, this is something that would Peter Tobin do. And that, that was the main goal in the beginning. But digging a little bit deeper, we find that two weeks after Hilda's murder, two young ladies from Edinburgh, Helen Scott and Christine Eady, were murdered. They were very young. They were both 17 years old. And both of them shared some of the gruesome details in their crime scenes that were very similar, if not identical, to Hilda Macaulay. So this could have something to do with um, Hilda's or whoever killed the other three girls. So the problem is, or the difference I should say, is that the killer of these two young ladies, Helen uh, and Christine, the, the guy was in jail. And since the three killings that we already went through and the girls that we went through in Glasgow, they were not likely to be Peters, which we thought that might have been the one that took Louise and maybe even killed her. The investigation turned to this other guy who might be a serial killer that could have, and apparently did, we're going to go through every piece of evidence, but apparently this guy had some kind of um, association to the area where Louise K lived. Okay, so they kind of shifted and they realized that the three murders in Glasgow, even though it was Peter's hometown, even though he was working for a company there, it was really not likely that he did kill those three girls, but rather maybe this guy that is in jail for these two young ladies' um, deaths, Helen and Christine, maybe he was the one that actually was involved with the other three and could have had something to do with Louise. So these two girls, Helen and Christine, they went out for the night. Again, it fits the description of the other three and it fits the description of what happened to Louise Kay. They visited the World's End pub on October 15th, 1977. Their bodies were found the next day. They were raped and strangled all in the same period, I mean, it was this was around the same time that was happening the other three murders, and it was in Glasgow as well. I mean, it fitted. They were raped. They were taken after a night out. It was almost like all the previous unsolved murders in Glasgow. So, what if this new guy was the one that has something to do more with Louise and other unsolved mysteries? Or can we really place the guy at, at first? Can we at least place this guy in the crime scenes or somewhat with the crime scenes of what happened to these three girls? Which then it would lead us to see if it had anything to do with Louise K. Now, there's a lot of people that say that they go on tangents and that this investigation is taking a new in a different kind, but everything is going to go back to Louise. Just so you know, 
this is kind of the process that they have to go through every single time that they have to reopen an old case. These are the things that they have to, and some people are like, well, it, it's not as important to go through the other three girls. It's almost like you're trying to solve a hundred mysteries in one. No, this uh, team of investigators, they do really want to go back to Louise, but if you know anything about it, going through an investigation, it kind of leads you everywhere. And then you have to find a way to connect it and find the evidence to show you exactly if it has something to do or not. So it will go into all different kind of branches that hopefully will take you to the one that you're looking for. So that's why we started with Peter Tobin, which Again, it was a very long investigation. And now we ended up with this other guy that we, so we can connect it to Louise, we have to go through what he did to the other girls before. So I just, a little something that I wanted to explain. Now, they did find the girl's killer, but it, it took them 36 years because after all that time, um, well, at first, they didn't know who didn't, but 36 year later, years later, they did tested something from the victim or the crime scene. I'm not sure what it was, but I think it was um, something from a either something that they were bound with, or you know, something in the crime scene was tested, and they found a DNA match to Angus Sinclair and who after so long of being on the loose was named by the media and you probably heard about this um, the Scotland secret serial killer he was a small guy he was 5'4 but he was very muscular he was a strong man he was a painter a decorator he was married too and he was a very loving husband according to um, his wife but he was also a thief a robber and a criminal that got away with the murders of these two girls for 36 years and finally ended up in prison because of the advance in technology and DNA and it was a big thing. When the police after so long arrested him, they asked him of course if he had anything to do with the death of Anna, Hilda or Agnes, the three girls that we started talking about in the beginning. And he said that he was advised not to talk to uh, them uh, advised by his lawyer and he never wanted to talk about it now the saddest part for um, on Anna's, Hilda's and Agnes murders is that for some reason all the forensic evidence that was taken from the crime scenes and I'm talking about all three all the evidence was lost the samples, everything so they had no physical evidence to try to find their killer as they did with Helen and Christine. So luckily, after doing a good job, however you want to call it, they did have still the evidence from Helen and Christine's murders, but they didn't have anything. I don't know what happened. And I've heard about uh, in an interview with this retired police officer that he said that they simply were lost. He doesn't know where they are. But 
I don't know. It could have been thrown away because they didn't think that they could do anything with it. But how can they get a it throw that away if you know this other girls were still saved? It's kind of interesting to know that it's not fair to Anna, Hilda, or Agnes that they have nothing that they can test today and match it to a DNA of some kind of some guy out there, which would again would make it impossible to continue to investigate such an old case if you have nothing to go on. Now, this guy, Agnes, started his life with the wrong foot, if you ask me. Apparently, when he was 16 years old, he lured his neighbor, a seven-year-old girl, to an abandoned apartment or to an apartment. It was in the area where they lived. He abused her and killed her and then pushed her down the stairs to make it look like it was an accident. However, the police knew and ended up in jail with a 10-year sentence, which... I don't get 10-year sentences for killing a little girl and sexually abusing her. But in jail, he decided to study, and he became a painter and a home decorator. When he was released, it seemed like he wanted to live a normal life and started to work as that painter and a home decorator. He only served six years of the 10 that he was that he got and to begin with. And the interesting thing is that even back then, according to the psychiatrist that was uh, evalu evaluating him, um, she said that he needed supervision, that no therapy, okay, listen to this, this would be really hard to say for a psychiatrist, I think, but um, she said that no therapy was going to help him. Okay, so basically, he's... He, Nobody can help him, and that he was a danger to society. So how, how, and why in the world did he get released? <laughs> not only that, but four years earlier. I have no idea. I'm not going to go into that little tangent because we do have a lot more to go through. But it's crazy that he only served six years and he got out and he moved on with his life. He not only... Uh, worked as a painter and a home decorator but he also married um, this girl Sarah um, she was 18 years old at the time and she was a nurse in a local hospital I watched the interview with her face protected or cover however you want to call it uh, from the camera she said that she was a very private person and that she would agree to talk to the investigator if her face was covered now watching that interview it was chilling i mean she had this calm and sweet voice granted she's older now of course um, but she would go into detail to describe some of this de uh, uh, things that they did as a couple as a uh, i don't know i mean i'm glad that she didn't speak but it was like <laughs> incredible to see how this guy could hide everything from her okay now in the interview she tells us that shortly after they moved um to glasgow apparently they got married they moved to an area here there in not here but there in glasgow and that he was very polite he was considerate he was a loving and, and kind overall an easy guy 
to live with and to have as a husband. They just didn't have that much problems or fights or anything like that. They did get along very well. He would come back after work. Their routine was basically he would have dinner, have tea. And something that she thought that was very interesting is that he would real he would read several newspapers from the first page to the last. And they were different newspapers. So that, that she thought was odd, but that's something that he did. Later on, Agnes told Sarah that he was going to start working on the weekends for extra money. So he wouldn't leave Friday night and come back Monday morning. And this was about, you guessed it, about the same time that the girls in Glasgow started to disappear. Now, this was the time where no where people were not entitled to know exactly where you were at all times. And I mean, no cell phones. So it was very easy to not know what somebody would do or what was doing during the weekend, unless you see them, unless you call them through a regular phone. But if you were traveling and if you were working, there was no way that you would know where exactly where he was. Because of this extra work, he needed a vehicle because, again, this was going to be different places that he would have to visit. So also at around that time, or actually before the disappearances started, he purchased a white van. They referred to his, to this particular one as a caravanette because these are the kind of vans that will lift the top and they have this more like a camper look with a tent on top. Um, the one that he had in particular was a Toyota Hyatt van and it was white. Sarah um, said that they all loved it and he would not share that van with anybody. He was the only one that could drive it and that they would visit and stay in different areas when they were on vacation with their son. It had beautiful curtains and it was kind of a private place where they can sleep. And it was just overall something that they really loved to do as a family. Sarah also said that he, while they were at home and they were not traveling, he would pull everything out and he would carry only tools, cables and things that he would use for work. He would also, very oddly... <laughs> To me, at least, while you're going through this evidence, he also had tights in his toolboxes. And this was because his wife would give it to him, her old ones, the one that had holes or something like that, so he could use those to strain paint. Now, going back to investigation, uh, we do know that there were tire tracks in Hilda's crime scene. That is something that was stated again we don't have any more evidence but at least we know that there were some tire tracks there and um, they were recorded again even if they lost the rest of the evidence we also know that several witnesses in different crime scenes reported seeing a white van in the area so now the investigators are trying to see if they can go back to the witnesses and place the specific van that they have a picture of and this is the van that um, Agnes was using at the time, the Toyota. So they go back to a shepherd 
he was the one that found um he found Anna's remains and they go and talk to him to try to see if he could describe the van that he saw during that weekend and uh, they also took a picture again to show it to him the shepherd still lives in the same farm and works there and he told the 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 investigator that he remembers seeing that van on that specific weekend because that specific weekend was a sheepdog trial weekend and he happened to win so you know how that works right when something significant happened to you then you kind of remember you know i i uh, and i'm not talking about the day that you have your child or something like that but you know i remember the day i on the month that i bought my first car and that, that kind of you know what i mean it was a weekend i and i remember it was labor day and all those things that kind of stick to your head or something or that you will remember forever and they don't really make a lot of sense why you will remember but for some reason you kind of remember that specific date and he didn't remember seeing the van on that particular weekend because again of this competition he even had a photo of him winning the trophy with a date in the trophy that matches the weekend that Anna disappeared he said that he remembers seeing the man because it was very weird it was a very hot day that during the weekend uh, it was very hot in in that day um he saw the man and he saw that all the windows and all the curtains were closed and he is used to seeing this kind of van camping in the area but usually when people go camping there they go outside they set up some kind of camp they go for hikes and they usually leave the windows open it's a safe place to leave them open and at that time you know when you come back if you're hiking it's not going to be too too hot so let's move oh, when they showed him before we move on to agnes um the 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 investigator showed him the picture and he said that it looked very much how the van that he saw that night uh that day i should say looked like so we have one witness that says it does match that picture of that van that you're showing me does match with one that i saw now Agnes Cooney, the third victim of the Glasgow murders on December 3rd, 1977, remember that she went out to support the van of her friends, right? And she was trying to get a ride and we have proof that Angus would lift people to give them ride, especially young girls, beautiful girls, he, he was into doing that. And we also know that Agnes would go in the car with tr strangers to get a lift or a ride and wasn't unusual for any of them. So. Agnes had a little bit too much to drink that night. She was tired. She was alone. So he could have offered her a ride and take her 23 miles away where her later her body was found. The other interesting thing is that in every of the murders, the witness claim in every single one that they saw this white van in the area, either, you know, before or around the same time that these girls were going out. For Agnes, the night um, that she was last seen alive, a witness mentioned seeing a white van. He even told the investigator that he made a left turn and then a right turn. And the victim went, you know, left. So they, they kind of parted different directions in that place. 
but um, this was recently. The 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 witness was um, interviewed recently, but at the time, you know, back then, he did tell the police that, you know, that he he saw this van, but instead of saying I saw a white van that I'm not sure the brand or whatever, he said that it was a white VW, and not a Toyota. And so the police never looked into another kind of van that fitted that description. They just didn't. They were looking for a, a VW. And so after that, <laughs> what would you do? I mean, he knew that they were looking for a Y van. They said that it was a VW, but you probably get a little bit paranoid and think, well, maybe they say in a VW, but they're looking for something else. Maybe they're looking for a white van. So Agnes, uh, Agnes um, decided to get rid of it. And oddly enough, before he got rid of it, he got rid of the carpets that were inside it. Hmm. Interesting. The van was scrapped, so there is no way of testing it. But we need to find out visit the witness in every case and see if they're, you know, if they're shown the picture again, they could recognize it. So that way we can place that specific van, that specific model and how it looked in the area. And to see if we can place the van, maybe we can place Agnes in that place as well. Now where Ilda McCauley's body was found that night, they did have a witness. This was a girl that was sitting in her car and she apparently uh, saw this guy walking by her car, past her car, and uh, he wasn't very tall. She did, this is in a recent interview, okay? This is, wasn't back then. And probably he, she did tell these things to the officers at the time, but uh, recently she was interviewed and she said, well, he wasn't very tall and was wearing a parka. That's her description. She also said that his eyes were very distinctive. So... Again, recently, when she had this interview, the investigator showed him, showed her the picture and she said, that's him. She immediately recognized the guy. So now, at this point, just to kind of wrap up part two and move on to part three next week and, you know, kind of the ending of this investigation and how it took us to all kinds of different places to go back to Louise. Now, at this point, we have a van. At every single crime scene that a witness places it there. And a very proud owner that, according to his wife, would never let anybody borrow it. So that means that if the van was there, Agnes was there. Agnes Sinclair, according to his wife, she believes anyway, that he had done a lot more that he hasn't been charged with. And that he needs to, and she believes that he he's a serial killer, that he needs to stay in prison because if he gets released, he will kill again. Now, to me, it doesn't take the wife to tell us that when he was very, very young. I mean, he, he had no fixing. The psychiatrist said, you know, this guy can't be fixed. He needs 24-hour supervision. 
and he's not going to get better. Granted, this was a really long time ago, but can you see how, even if they cannot prove these three murders, they can't really pin it to him, he killed two 17-year-old girls. So he did kill again. He did. And this guy, and according to his wife, if, if people wouldn't do what he wanted them to do, then he would um, make them. So maybe he did have a lot of um, adventures. Maybe he had a lot of girls while he was working on the weekends. And the ones that really didn't want to be with him, he would get rid of them. That's a possibility. But join me next week as we go through the, as we wrap up the story. A lot of this unsolved cases that found their way into Louis K's disappearance. It is very, I know that it goes into very different pieces but that's all what it's going to give us a bigger picture when all the pieces are in place and every one of them, every piece of evidence that we're going through right now will make sense. So thank you so much for listening to today's podcast. I hope you come back next Wednesday if you want to listen to more cases, uh, one episode from start to finish with a case. I have a lot on my podcast so check out go back and check and see the other cases or you can listen to part one if you missed it as well that was the last episode see you back next week bye guys